Welcome to the One Sacred Pause podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Winderall. This podcast is designed to bring real and raw conversations about spirituality into the forefront of living our yoga off the mat and in our businesses. Topics covered include insights into the yoga industry, teaching, wellness, Ayurveda, meditation, and entrepreneurship. Basically, all the topics we're interested in. Thanks for joining me. Now tune in and turn it up. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the One Sacred Pause podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Winderall, and today I am so excited to welcome back a repeat guest, now Dr. Laura Bozier-Scotty. So welcome. Hi, Jessica. It's really, really nice to be back here at your podcast. Yes, I'm so excited to have you on again. And it's been a long time since we last connected on this platform. And I think it was now that I'm recollecting, I think it was probably in 2019. So. Mm-hmm. Long, long, long time ago. That's a true. long time a ago. Pandemic, even. <laughs> I know. I had a baby. You got your yes. doctorate. Like, yes. what's <laughs> happened? So, maybe you could go ahead and just reintroduce yourself if there are new listeners who are not familiar um, with who you are. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, I'm a Lithuanian uh, neuroscientist uh, that now lives in Oslo. Uh, and I research brain and I research sleep and what is happening in our brains when we are sleeping. And uh, mainly I'm interested in this one process that in a very sort of sexy way is called brainwashing. And it's actually literal brainwashing. So removal of harmful molecules from your brain that if they are not removed, they can cause disease, neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's and dementia. And uh, surprisingly, this brainwashing happens only when we are sleeping. So it's very important to sleep for many reasons, but also to sort of clean your brain and prevent uh, these diseases to sort of lower the risk of these diseases. And I'm trying to understand why brainwashing happens only during sleep. Mm. So how far... I know this has been your topic of study for a long time. Um, You know, when we met in 2018, 2019, this was what you were already doing as you're approaching finalizing your PhD and your doctorate. Mm -hmm. Have you found any updates or anything of interest since that time, since you started studying this topic? Because I know in a lot of these like cutting edge kind of areas of science, um, it can take a long time before there's any real yes. like breakthrough or there's so many <laughs> hypotheses that you're playing yes. around with and going through. So has there been any progress or is it still kind of like just throwing the spaghetti at the wall and trying to be like, well, we don't know. Let's see. <laughs> that's a very, actually, I think that's a really nice description of how science is done. At least the one that I'm doing, which is this basic or fundamental science where you just sort of try different things. You have some hypotheses, but basically just trial and error, trying and see if, if, if it's that or that. But there has been some progress. I mean, if it's big or little, I think it depends on everybody's own reference point. Mm. Uh, but we have found um, that during sleep, our brain blood vessels um, and our brain blood flow changes in very peculiar ways, what doesn't happen when we are awake. 
So during deep sleep, what we see is that uh, arteries of the brain basically oscillate or pulsate very slowly. So they dilate and constrict. And then when we enter another stage of sleep called REM sleep, this is the sleep where we dream a lot. We dream through all of sleep, but here we dream a lot. There we see that our arteries in the brain really dilate and dilate to such magnitudes that that doesn't really happen even when we are awake. And I have to say here that I study mice. So I look with the microscope through actual sort of windows into the brain so we put some glass there so i can see the actual brain of a living wow. uh, sleeping living mouse yes and that's what i see and basically uh, such blood vessel movements uh, might move a special fluid that is called uh, like a special brain fluid that's called cerebrospinal fluid that actually moves through our brain and cleans stuff when this fluid is moving so we think that these blood vessel movements kind of push or move that fluid better oh, and more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's what contributes or facilitates this brainwashing only when we are sleeping. Because these blood vessels move in these peculiar ways only when we are sleeping. And now we're trying to wrap up a paper on this and sort of the final deadline, which became the final, final, and then the final, 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 has been now going on for over half a year. So hopefully by the end of this month, but we'll see. <laughs> wow. So then would it be correct to say that then you might be finding a correlation? Like if the whole idea is to get the dilation of the blood vessels of the brain in order to, to create the movement of the fluid through the brain. Hmm. And it, it sounds like you just said that you've seen a bigger measurement of that dilation during the REM sleep or when there's a uh, dream state activity in the brain is that correct yeah yeah yeah. so basically both of these processes of so both deep sleep and REM sleep and these movements that happen in deep sleep these oscillations pulsations mm -hmm. and the one dilation in REM both of these processes are important basically to mix and then basically flush out it's almost oh, okay. like washing machine cycles yeah. So this is, you know, initial, well, this is initial data. There's still a lot to do, right. uh, but I'm just sharing sort of what we found because I think it's very interesting, you know? It's very interesting. And I, you know, of course, as a yoga teacher and Ayurveda teacher, I approach every bit of information I encounter in my daily life from the lens of yoga and in particular yeah. yoga philosophy and always trying to see like what that correlation is because mm -hmm. so often ancient yoga philosophy is repeating what modern science, modern medicine is already talking about or coming out with, or, mm. um, gosh, I wish I had an example right offhand right now, but it seems like so many times, you know, if we're talking about meditation and the benefits on the body, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it's like, okay, well, how does that change the state of the mind and the mental patterns? And yeah, yeah, yeah. we talk as yogis often about, um, you know, the way in which we view our world is through the state of our mind and the quality of our thoughts. And in yoga philosophy, we're taught that there are five different types of thought form, um, things like, you know, conscious thought, um, memories, and mm. the one that might be of most of interest to you in particular is the dream state. So mm -hmm. yogis believe that dreaming is actually one of the five types of thought form mm -hmm. that we have. And so if we're thinking then that you're seeing, your research is seeing um, a big difference in the, how the brain is moving or the arteries of the brain are moving 
um, in a dream state versus say a conscious waking state, Mm. it might be interesting to maybe like very generally hypothesize Mm. that on the physical level, the dream state is more important or when you're having dreams or experiencing dreams in sleep, that's more important than the conscious thinking, you know, state that we're in right now, say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that would, yes, I, I see your point. I think that would depend sort of what is it more important for, sort of what kind of process are you looking for? Let's say if it was uh, this brainwashing or brainwaste clearance, then this entire REM state where we, where, when we dream and where we dream, I would say that that's sort of, well, it's a bit difficult to say more important than the conscious state, you know, because I mean, with one, we wouldn't have the other. Yeah. And, uh, and regarding dreams, actually, I think that's even more interesting because, I mean, we still don't really fully understand why we are dreaming and what are dreams for from scientific perspective. I, under, I know that and there's a lot of all kinds of very interesting theories, but with dreams, I think the sort of the most interesting part is that it's so hard to study them because it's very difficult to make people sleep but not have dreams. It's very mm. difficult to have that sort of switch. And then you can't really check. So what then will happen? So then we can basically have correlational studies or correlations. And from there, we know that dreams are very important for our uh, emotional health and mental health and mm. the psychological health, whatever, however you sort of uh define it and then i just wanted to make one comment uh how you started um saying that uh certain things that exist in our world for a very long time for thousands of years that it's only now that let's say science is picking up on it and i think Mm. it's just meditation by itself for example or even yoga you know yes meditation and yoga makes us feel good right but now there's insane amount of really good quality studies that show actual physical change in our brain and our brain activity function structure that meditation does um, and and uh, that is associated with let's say better brain health better emotional health better psychological health we become more resilient to stress and now basically now mm. finally we have the the tools the methods to investigate to measure to look into the brain you know uh, to do all these tests so then finally we can um also let's say ob- objectively check it yeah and that's so cool and i every time i talk to you and i hear about what your research is and what you're doing it's so exciting and so interesting and i think sleep in particular is an area well first of all in ayurveda the sister science of yoga and the the holistic healing modality um it, it says that the three pillars of life are Uh, food, sleep, and sex. And if we have an imbalance in any of these areas of our life, then we really need to address that because we likely have a fairly substantial um, imbalance or, uh, you know, possible accumulation of disease in the body Mm. or even prior to that in the mind or the spirit um, or energy. And so thinking about sleep, okay, from that lens of like, first of all, the wisdom of Ayurveda is saying this is incredibly important. We must have sleep and mm. high quality sleep and we have to rest the body. And Ayurveda even also says that the key to healing is deep rest, true rest. So that doesn't necessarily mean that it's actual sleep, but mm. really learning how to 
um, authentically trigger the parasympathetic nervous system rather than, you know, some sort of stimulated version of that, which mm. will be one of the questions I have for you, the use, mm-hmm. uh, which we can come to later, but yeah. regarding the use of um, sleeping aids or mm. um, things that are prescription sleep pills. Mm. Um but we always talk about like, okay, how important sleep is. And we all know this, of course, we feel the difference when we get adequate sleep, when we don't get adequate yeah. sleep, but coming from the actual scientific mm-hmm. area that you're coming from, mm-hmm. what can you tell us in general about um, mm-hmm. the effects of either full sleep deprivation, or if we are um, just continuously not getting enough sleep. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people they wear, especially in, you know, America where I'm from, it's very much a badge of honor of like, Oh, I only, I only need four hours of sleep a night, or I only sleep five hours a night of sleep or five hours a night of sleep. Yeah. What, what can you say about this from your research and your perspective? Yeah. So now I will talk about uh, research done by thousands of laboratories over many many years Uh, a lot of people investigate sleep and what lack of sleep does to our body and there's sort of one answer to that if you don't get enough sleep you damage your health and there's no softer way to put it the worse you sleep the worse your health gets uh, and now it just it's, I want to tell you so much, so I just try to or have to try to organize my my thoughts in my head. But basically, let's start with what happens if we don't get enough sleep. And now we can even talk about both this acute sleep deprivation, where you haven't slept, let's say, for one night or two nights, and this chronic sleep deprivation, where you constantly sleep less than you should, which for an adult human being, <laughs> which is who is healthy should be at, at least seven hours uh, or more, but at least seven hours. So if you sleep too little, basically every organ and every cell in your body suffers and damages the, and gets gets damaged and, and, and suffers consequences. So it's endless amount of scientific studies that have been done. And then they show that if you don't get adequate sleep, uh, your immune system goes down, your cognitive abilities goes down, you have worse memory, you are much less resilient to stress. You are much more emotionally unstable. And I think we can all very much relate to that after a night of bad sleep. Our metabolism goes to hell. Uh, our hormones that regulate our digestion, uh, how our body takes up nutrients, get all scrambled up and, and the certain lev- certain hormones uh, are produced more certain too little so then there's imbalance we eat more we gain weight more easily our reproductive system gets worse if we don't get enough sleep as well women might experience worse period symptoms Uh, men's testosterone levels go down i mean you just point to like body part and it's damaged by lack of sleep and this is because in principle being awake is damaging to our cells and to our tissues and we need to sleep to fix that daily damage so that we can sort of get up ready again for the day and to sort of be resilient to all kinds of stress you know and and all kinds of damage and then i really want to comment upon this uh, special strain of people or special population of people and I, i i think both you and i were there who sort of just do things, do things and sleep little because then there's like a more time or a lot of time um, to, to do what you want to do and sleep is for the week, sleep is a waste of time, blah, blah, blah. 
And this is an interesting paradox, is that you can only be your best, let's say, and you can only do the most when you are well slept. Because when you haven't, if you haven't slept well, uh, your attention goes down, your focus goes down, your uh, energy goes down, you take longer to do tasks, and you make much more mistakes. So it's actually when you try to do stuff when you are underslept, that's when you're wasting time. When you are well slept, you can do everything you want uh, efficiently and quickly and with, with much less uh, mistakes and so on. Um, so basically sleeping um, sort of, tr let's say, truly tr big damage or, or, or truly concerning damage, uh, I think, starts to happen for most people if you don't sleep enough for really long periods, let's say years. And there is space to sort of fix it up or to start to uh, look after your sleep, of course, to the best of everyone's abilities to minimize the damage, to maybe even reverse some. Um, yeah, so it's never too late, let's say, to, to start to, to sleep better. <laughs> well, I kind of want to flesh that out a little bit more. Just the, the comment you made um, that possibly having a prolonged period of sleep deprivation, um, is there permanent damage that occurs? Or is it is it a little bit more malleable? Like, mm. could you, if you go through a period of sleep deprivation and mm. then and then you're able to get back on track and regain some good sleep hygiene and practices and can you rebuild build up your cellular um, deficit mm. or, or is there permanent damage to your organs or, or certain areas of your body? Mm. So short answer, I guess, would be that I don't have a straightforward answer or that I don't know. It will also depend from a person to person. Some people will rebuild or fix damage better than the others. And part of it is your genetics. Part of it is what you have done before in your life and what you have ex been exposed to. What are your other habits? Is your diet healthy? Are you managing your stress, etc.? So every person sort of has a different ability to recover from stress. Uh, also, it will depend how long you have been sleep deprived and what else happened to you. But I mean, uh, definitely, at least part of it, uh, you can fix up or you can recover. But I'm not sure if uh, you can, let's say, recover every, every part or like 100% rebuild what has been damaged. Um, saying that, it's also a bit um, tricky to study this because sometimes you you don't know what to measure or what might come up in like 10 or 20 or 30 years and, and all of that. But it's just, I think the most important is that is not to start stressing that you had one night of bad sleep or maybe you had periods of bad sleep a year or two or three or whatever. I mean, now it's all in the past. You can't really, I mean, right? You accept it. You, you can't really do <laughs> anything about it. So don't stress about it. I mean, if now sort of you start taking care of, of what you can and uh, try to get better sleep, uh, that is definitely worth it. And that will definitely bring uh, benefits. Hmm. Yeah. And that's why one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast, of course, is is selfish. Um, you know, I had my son almost two years ago and the the lingering sleep deprivation that I experienced mm -hmm. is so 
profound almost has like a good connotation to it, but I would say mm-hmm. pro- profound in a negative way because mm-hmm. prior to having my son, actually prior to being pregnant, um, I slept terrible during my pregnancy as well. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, I always had an amazing sleep habit and mm-hmm. could sleep on trains and planes and mm-hmm. on in the car. And I, I always mm-hmm. slept at least eight or nine hours a night. And it was, um, I just love sleep and mm-hmm. then becoming a mom. And of course, everybody knows the first few months of mm-hmm parenting with a newborn, you expect to be sleep deprived. But what kind of surprised me was that the, um, the sleep deprivation patterns have continued. You have all of the mm-hmm. sleep regressions that children go through at like four months mm-hmm. and eight months, and then a year. And then there's like all this stuff that happens as your, as your kid or your baby is continuing to develop and evolve and grow into their own human being, mm-hmm. um, and their development stages. But you know, on average, I get four or five hours of sleep a night, Mm -hmm. still Mm -hmm. two hours or two years, two and a half years, Mm -hmm. I guess at this point. And it is exactly like you've been saying, I am sick all the time. My immune system is so low. And of course my kids in Barnahog or kindergarten, so he's bringing home stuff, but Mm -hmm. I don't have that natural immunity that I used to have Mm -hmm. to fight off every little Mm -hmm. cold that the kids are getting. Um, And of course I move so slowly, my brain function, I can feel it. I'm like, wake up, wake up, wake up. And it's so sluggish (laughs) and slow. And, and then I have a cup of coffee, which I don't really generally drink that much coffee and it, Mm -hmm. it almost actually doesn't even work. I feel more tired Mm -hmm. after I have a Mm -hmm. cup of coffee a lot of times. And what I've really noticed and this, this is, I mean, I'm guessing I probably already know the answer, but it would be awesome to hear you speak to it from the scientific background is, Mm -hmm. you know, the first year, 15, 16 months of the sleep deprivation after my son was born, I was like, you know, just totally exhausted all the time. I was like, okay, I just need to wait a little bit longer. You know, maybe in a week he'll settle. Maybe in a week he'll sleep through the night. And then you have periods where your kid sleeps through the night and you're like, yes, we made it. And then it's like, just kidding. Then they hit another sleep regression or something happens. Uh Or, you know, when we've been traveling, that always throws him off his pattern and his routine. And then his sleep's Mm -hmm. bad for another two months. So anyways, all this stuff keeps happening. But what I've found most recently in the last three, four months, probably, is, um, you know, my son goes to bed at seven, seven thirty at night. That would be a great time for me to get ready and go to bed and, you know, get sleep. But I actually get this energetic boost at night. Mm-hmm. And most parents get this way too, because they're like, Oh, finally, I have a moment to myself. Mm-hmm. And you just want to enjoy that time, enjoy your evening, doing whatever it is that you're mm-hmm. doing. Although most parents will also say they're so tired. It's not like we're going to go to the gym at eight o'clock at night. It Mm. does usually divert into these less optimal habits like scrolling Instagram or watching TV or Mm. having another snack late at night. Um, And so in general, I get to bed probably right now around 1115, 1130. Mm. My son is up usually now, thank God he's sleeping through the night, but he's usually up by 435, 530 on Um. good day. So the max amount of sleep I would get would be five hours. Mm-hmm. I'm up with my son early. We're hanging out, take him to Barnahog. I come home on the days I'm not traveling for work. I work from home and my schedule is so flexible that I can kind of do what I want. So I usually go back to bed. I, I take a nap almost every day. Yeah. You're giving the thumbs up, but what I've found, you know, I think for short term solution, I mm-hmm. think that's great um, mm-hmm. to, to try and like 
and I know you don't, you wouldn't say you could ever catch up on sleep, but to kind of try and supplement your sleep for a short time. But here's my real question. The thing that I've noticed more than just being so tired and being irritable and having, you know, emotional um, imbalance and dysregulation is that um, I really, truly, for the first time in my entire life, feel like my hormonal system is out of balance. And that is what's driving my erratic sleep patterns. Mm. And I have never felt like my hormones were so involved in my sleep before. And, mm. and I feel like it's gotten to the stage after almost two and a half years of prolonged sleep deprivation that, um, that now it's actually crossing over into like a more serious consideration. And mm. so having you on the podcast was selfish mm. because I was like, okay, if I hear it from a scientist who's researching this topic, maybe yeah. that's the, um, the inspiration I need to really get strict with myself to kind of reset mm. my sleep patterns. Mm. Can you talk a little bit more about the hormonal disruption that happens from sleep deprivation? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, first, I think you also mentioned uh, another good point that I want, didn't want to forget is that uh, you had good sleep before you became pregnant and before you had babies, babies, one baby. <laughs> but, um, and that I think is also really important. I think people who in general had very good sleep or a very good sleep schedule all their lives that they can tolerate a certain period of sleep deprivation better because their body is healthier, let's say, and their body has slept well for a long time, and then body can tolerate um, some months or or a year or so with uh, lack of sleep a little bit better than, let's say, if you have always been sleeping bad. So I think that's that's a, a good good uh, good thing. Then uh, I also actually want to touch upon napping, and uh, the thing is that. I, in, in an ideal world or in an ideal situation, everybody should aim to get like seven hours or more every night. But if that is impossible, collect your sleep throughout the day. If you got like four or five hours at night, if you have the opportunity to get a long nap during the day, just go for it. That's really, really, really good. Naps will, let's say sleep and nap is definitely much better than just short sleep. So that I would definitely like to congratulate you and uh, recommend this to everyone who who is listening. So naps are really, really, really good. And uh, until they start to, let's say, bother your nightly sleep, or if you're napping so much that in the evening you don't uh, feel sleepy and that sort of might be happening. Um, but but naps in general are really good. Nightly sleep is, is, is what you should... Uh, take care of the most uh, but if you don't get enough sleep during the night naps are great uh, regarding emotional uh, and the hormonal stuff and how hormones uh, affect sleep so uh, women's uh, sleep even changes across 30 days across the menstrual cycle uh, not to all of women and some women feel it more than the others of course how is with everything uh, but basically, uh, some uh, women have, find it harder to fall asleep and stay asleep, and uh, they sleep more superficially uh, just before period and when period starts. Uh, some women might observe uh, some changes in sleep around their ovulation uh, when you have high levels of hormones as well. 
For example, I noticed that uh, just a day or two uh, before my period starts and, and in the first two days, uh, I definitely sleep much more superficially. So then I tried to, and now I learned that uh, before I even used to get sort of scared a little bit, like what's going on? Why can't I fall asleep and stuff? And then mm-hmm. I started seeing a pattern, you know, and then I'm like, ah, okay, that's what it is. So then I tried to take care more uh, of my sleep those days so then I really make sure to wind down in the evening I make sure to be very physically active throughout the day not over not sort of push push myself too much but uh, get get the physical activity and so on and so on like whatever sleep hygiene tips that we will probably touch upon at the end of 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 the podcast Uh, you also see uh, changes in sleep pattern uh, during pregnancy and and all of this is uh, regulated with with the, your hormones your sex hormones mostly uh, but sleep and uh, hormonal balance is definitely uh, very tightly uh, knitted <laughs> tightly <Yeah>. associated <laughs> um, yes and then a uh, last point to touch upon is that you definitely sound to uh, have entered a certain sleep pattern which I think is not the worst because I think the worst would be if you just slept four hours and just pushed on and didn't do anything else, like didn't sleep naps and stuff like that. Uh, but I I would guess, let's say, or hypothesize that if you started skipping the nap, potentially you would uh, fall asleep maybe at around eight or whenever your son goes, goes to sleep because of built up sort of sleep pressure and, and all of that. But I mean, we're all humans. You find what works, right? Uh, and I think that's uh, most important. Yeah, and it is also th- just habits as well, which we will come back to about sleep hygiene and setting good habits. And you know, I think that's for me what's so frustrating. And any new parents listening who I'm sure are relating to what I'm talking about is, you know, I put my son down and I'm so tired, and I'm like, okay, tonight's the night. I'm gonna make the change. I'm just gonna get ready and go to bed, get a full night of sleep, and then tomorrow I'll feel great. And, you know, I'll be watching TV or something, literally like almost falling asleep. And I'm like, go to bed, go to bed, Jessica, go to bed. And I literally can't even get off the couch because I'm so tired. But it's this weird, you know, I think the dynamic of becoming a new parent, especially for the Mm -hmm. first time, is so life altering on every single level that um, we're really unprepared actually for how our identity changes, how our lifestyle changes. And mm-hmm. even when you're really like excited to be a parent and really embracing the full experience, the physiological changes that happen, you know, in particular to mothers, but also to fathers, they're hopefully involved mm-hmm. in the process too, mm-hmm. um, is so much greater than I think we're actively talking about, at least mm-hmm. in the communities that I'm part of. Um, and so that's kind of why I wanted to bring this up too. And and I'm speaking so candidly Mm -hmm. about my experience because I think it's something that, you know, I'm every parent who has kids older than me. I'm like, when do they start to sleep? You Mm -hmm. know, like I knew, I knew the first six months were going to be rough after I had my baby, but I didn't know it was going to be two years. And I've -hmm. had some parents be like, yeah, it's around maybe age four. They start having really good sleep patterns and then you can have good sleep patterns. And then I've had some people be like, yeah, honestly, it wasn't until my kid was about six. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't do this for another four years. (laughs) (laughs) um, 
It is. I think just coming from the the perspective of a parent, it's mm. um, first of all, we need to have that motivation to reset our habits, but then also like you've touched on too, have that kind of compassion and understanding and acceptance that like, okay, this mm. is the season of life we're in. And mm. if we can try and maybe bolster other areas of our life, like mm-hmm. exercise or diet, mm-hmm. um, that can sort of compensate a little bit, but Aww. The thing I really want to come back to that I found so interesting is when you were talking about throughout the um, 30 day or 28 day menstrual cycle, mm-hmm. how much a woman's sleep patterns are um, influenced by the hormonal shifts in her body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so many women, especially in the yoga and wellness communities are really tracking their cycle, um, mm-hmm. using a lot of apps maybe even mm. doing temperature readings every morning, maybe even mm. doing uh, seed cycling where you have different seeds each day throughout the different mm. periods of your cycle um, to bolster your hormones and help support that process. Um, I'm wondering, do you or do you know any people, women who are uh, using a cycle tracking app that are also putting in their sleep? Like I know a lot of the the cycle, like I use Clue. Um, I can mm. put in some information, but it's always sort of an afterthought. I'm always like, okay, well, Mm -hmm. it's more important to put on like, you know, some of the other stuff first. And Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm wondering if this is something we Mm -hmm. should be in general, women should be doing more of Mm -hmm. is like tracking their sleep in relation Mm -hmm. to their cycle. Mm -hmm. In general, I think is a very smart thing uh, to, to track your cycle. Uh, a lot of our states or emotions and feelings and how we're feeling and, what happens in our day and if we let's say judge that we functioned well or not well is really tightly associated with our cycle and at least for me like I become sort of paranoid or scared or worried very easily so for me to know why things happen or don't happen or why I might feel like this and not like this and sort of to track patterns really helps it really brings the like puts away a lot of stress and worry off my shoulders so I do that. I, I even have this thing where I put uh, two or three days before my period starts in my calendar where I write, these days can be weird. Don't worry. <laughs> because then I know that if something goes on there, I don't, I just sort of wait for a day or two. If it passes, I know why it happens. Um, tracking your sleep as well, I think it's sort of for the same reason I mean just to get to know yourself and to to know if if let's say your personal sleep is is uh, affected by your cycle or or not and if it is sort of see you know if it's really happens in this 30 day or whatever cycle length uh, pattern so then again it's sort of you know what to expect you can prepare better maybe you will see that drinking a cup of herbal tea while sort of meditating before sleep will help you sleep better during these days or maybe limiting your caffeine these days will improve your sleep and so you can sort of start to experiment if you can maybe make your sleep better these days if if your sleep is interrupted so I don't really see any downfall in just sort of observing following and making notes of of your sleep pattern um throughout your cycle I haven't been really using any apps myself it's mostly my calendar or like excel sheets or whatever like that um yeah but I would definitely yeah encourage doing that Mm. what are your opinions or thoughts on um like the sleep tracking 
uh, apps or, you know, I've, I've kind of had my eye on getting one of those rings. Oh, you've got a bracelet. Okay. What do you, what's been your experience? I think that's a very, very good question and very relevant, especially these days. Uh, so sleep tracking as everything in this world, I think can be good or bad. And it just depends how you use it, basically. Mm. Um, some objectives, comments, let's say about sleep tracking. So one thing is that you have to know that all of these home tracking devices, like this, this is a Fitbit, uh, there are rings, there are all kinds of watches, Fitbits and whatever. Uh, they are not very accurate yet. This is very important thing to know. What they can measure relatively uh, accurately is your sleep duration, how mm. long you slept in total. Uh, but where they are not accurate, let's say almost, well, not at all, but they're not very accurate is uh, determining your sleep stages, how much deep sleep you got, how much REM sleep you got, how much light or superficial sleep you got. There, their accuracy varies to from 30 to 50%. So it might be that, let's wow. say, your watch shows that you got one hour of deep sleep when actually you got two hours. Mm. And this is where I have encountered most problems come. People get very worried that their watch tells them, hey, you almost only slept light sleep. You barely got any deep sleep or you barely got REM sleep. And then they start to worry, you know, and I, I understand and then they start to worry, even though they feel fine and they function fine throughout the day and stuff like that. And so this is where I think it's just being aware that what you can sort of trust or not trust to observe again your own patterns. For example, I think it's very fun to see that if I eat a late dinner, like a pizza yeah. or something, and then I can see my sleep patterns, how they change, how I take much longer, let's say, to just get the first even episode of this deep sleep, how my heart rate is when mm -hmm. I sleep. So your heart rate goes down even below your resting heart rate when you fall asleep. And if you go to bed with a full belly, your heart rate doesn't go below resting heart rate. And then you're not as restored. And yeah. same, let's say... If if I have a glass or, or two of wine just before bed, I also see how my heart rate looks. And I just think it's interesting to, to observe these patterns. Um, there are also, this is the last comment, there are some um, sleep trackers that you don't wear, uh, but you have them like on your night table or something. Yeah, I've seen those. Mm -hmm. So these are actually, uh, s some of them can measure sound and light and temperature. And this is very useful information that they can bring to you to say, let's say, if your bedroom is too noisy for you to sleep or too much light for you to sleep mm. or if it's maybe too warm. Because basically the perfect environment for us to sleep in is uh, <laughs> cold, dark and uh, silent. Well, the yeah. cave basically, you know. So, oh, my uh, favorite. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes. Uh, let's see. I had a question about, oh, oh, um, in regards to the sleep trackers, what about if you're watching television late at night? Have you personally watched that or have you seen what, I mean, we know, of course, that watching TV and getting that stimulation um, is really, really bad for the brain activity before you want to go to sleep. But mm. in general, do you see that showing up on trackers? Oh, that's actually a good question. You know, the weirdest thing is that I don't 
it wasn't a very voluntary or active choice, but I don't really watch TV late in the evening. So I don't know. I'll try it. <laughs> Let you know. <laughs> well, you don't have to ruin a night of sleep just for that. I just was curious because, you yeah. know, you're talking about if you're having meal late at night or you're drinking alcohol yeah. late at night or you have caffeine late at night, yeah. you see the pattern of your heart rate taking longer yeah. to go down. And I would be curious. I mean, I would imagine just from my general, you know, uneducated yeah. scientific background, it would be the same thing. That's a very good, uh, good, good point. I mean, now you got me interested. You know, I'll check it out. In some nights, maybe when I watch it, let's say later than usual, I'll check it out. I think that's very interesting. Uh, so I would also guess uh, that that uh, watching a lot of TV just before sleep would probably, well, at least not benefit your sleep. And mm -hmm. it also depends how much light you're exposed to when you're watching TV, because light is a very powerful stimulus or a trigger to wake us up that's a signal to our brain and our bodies that it's day it's time to wake up and uh, our brain let's say and eyes they can't really distinguish if it's sunlight if it's let's say tv light mm. or, or if it's whatever artificial light if it's intense enough it, our eyes basically just measure the intensity and how how long and how much of this light we get uh, so I, I i do think that basically light and then of course depends what you what you're watching yes uh, yes so that would affect uh, sleep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's one of the things if, when I watch TV late at night, I always, it's usually with my laptop and I always turn the light down on the screen um, because I notice a big difference just in the light, mm -hmm. just like you said. But mm -hmm. also, you know, prior to getting pregnant, I would read every single night before bed mm -hmm. since I was a small child. That was mm -hmm. non-negotiable every single night always was my way to wind down. And uh -huh. I'm sure that's why I always slept so well too, is because I was uh -huh. doing something that was relaxing and calming and non-stimulating. Yeah. And after having my baby and defaulting into Instagram scrolling and watching yeah. TV and all these really bad habits wow. um, at night in particular, um, I see, of course, how that really impacts. Like I'm not reading anymore at night mm. and I see a huge impact on that, mm. how that reflects in my sleep. And, mm. you know, again, none of this is new information. None of this is like yeah. a, a shock or a surprise, <laughs> yeah. but I do think it's really worth talking about and rehashing because, mm. you know, we hear all this stuff like, okay, you need to drink enough water. You need to eat good food. You need to get enough sleep. You need to make sure you're exercising. Like mm. we hear these rote advices all yeah. the time, but unless we make it super specific to our life and our experience, yeah, we lose the direct motivation. And yeah for me trying to reset, you know, I used to have really great habits and, you know, especially with my background in Ayurveda and then also yoga, knowing how important these are mm -hmm. to, to keep the organism of our body functioning, but also, um, the anti-aging of the brain, the anti-aging of the skin. And of course, as a yogi, most importantly, your connection to your spiritual mm -hmm. body. Um, and all of that just goes out the window when you're exhausted all the time. And, um, you know, just things don't seem to work the same way that they used oh. to. And so reminding ourselves of like, hey, you once were able to do this and now you can maybe find your way back. Or mm. if it's, if it is truly brand new to somebody, you know, mm. finding that extra motivation of like, gosh, mm -hmm. okay, there is a way to do things differently. And mm. yeah, it's tough, man, when life gets hard and, and things come up and you have these major life changes or challenges yeah. or you know, whatever it is, if you're in school or you're going through a major life stress, like a divorce mm -hmm. or moving a house and, um, mm -hmm. or having a child, like 
you know, life is a constant fluctuation. And so mm-hmm. we have to have that grace with ourselves to be like, okay, this is just a period of life that's a little extra challenging, or I'm a little yeah. bit off of my center place. And mm-hmm. that's okay. But then also having that idea of like, okay, well, when do I get back? When is it time mm-hmm. to reconnect with that sense of balance? And mm-hmm. um, I think one of the great places for us to take this conversation next would be, oh, actually I have one other question and then we'll mm-hmm. get into the mm-hmm. sleep hygiene. Mm-hmm. Coming back to um, sleep, artificial sleeping aids. Like I, mm-hmm. I think maybe I've taken like one or two over the counter at some point in my life, like for mm-hmm. one or two nights, but I'd always heard that they are extremely detrimental, especially mm-hmm. if you get hooked on them or you Mm, actually uh need them in order to go to sleep. Mm. What is your, um, or what are your thoughts on, on sleep aids? So, uh, sleeping aids or sleeping pills definitely in society have this very negative uh, sort of shadow on them. And the thing is that what is important to understand is that sleeping pills and sleeping aids are medicine. It's like any type of medicine they are very good and useful and helpful when they are needed. When they are not needed, then they will be (laughs) negative to your health, basically. And sleeping aids, uh, well, first of all, you should only use them if doctor prescribes them. Uh, The medical doctor, best if if the doctor is even a somnologist or which is a sleep expert. Be, because then, well, they, they know sort of the conditions and the situation where sleeping aids really help out. Sleeping aids and uh, sleeping pills uh, can be addictive or are addictive if you use them for too too long or too much. But that your medical doctor should take care of. And usually they're prescribed for a very short time. For example, uh, just around my defense, I was very stressed out and I had some panic attacks and anxiety and stuff like that. And for the for the first time in my life, uh, I had sort of insomnia. I couldn't fall asleep. I couldn't sleep, basically. And I was very, very scared and worried because I have never experienced such a thing. Mm. And then, of course, I started worrying that it will never go away, that I will sort of, that's my life now. Anyway, and uh, then after a while, I went and talked to my uh, just GP, my doctor, and then she said, uh, hey, listen, you don't seem to, let's say, have addiction problems <laughs> after talking to me and stuff. So I'm going to prescribe you sleeping pills for like four days, four oh, wow. days, just to get you back on the track. So usually it's, it's uh, sleeping pills should not be prescribed, I think, for longer than two or three weeks. Hmm. Um, so for four days and then just to get you back on track with your let's say sleep and schedule and then you stop it and and let's see hopefully it's going to be fine and that's exactly what happened I mean I needed some external help because that has been sort of going on for a long time and it was almost like a restart button Hmm. Uh, and then I used sleeping aids for four nights afterwards I stopped even the night after sleeping pills I slept completely fine and afterwards I slept completely fine and I have never ever after that used any more sleeping pills and that was two years ago so I think that when used in specific situations when they should are supposed to be used I think they're a lifesaver but I mean when people drink coffee at 10 in the evening after super stressing the entire day, not taking not taking care of physical activity, not taking care of stress, not taking care of their diet, and then they expect to just switch off to sleep. Uh, and, you know, instead of actually 
taking care of their sleep hygiene to just pop a pill, well, that's not really a solution. And then I don't think sleeping pills are good. But it's sort of, you know, again, how you use it uh, mm. and, and how it is. Uh, yeah. And another last thing maybe with sleeping pills to mention is that sleeping pills, it's not sleep sleep it's a little bit different state than sleep it's sort of more sedation almost yeah and then but then sometimes if you go past this threshold you might need a little extra hand sort of to get you back mm -hmm. on track and then you pay attention very much to your sleep hygiene and stuff like that hmm. what about things that are considered to be more natural like melatonin drops? yes <laughs> nice super nice that you actually asked that so regarding melatonin, melatonin is sort of not a scary thing like sleeping pills or I don't know, opioids or something like that. Um, and people, a lot of people buy melatonin just by themselves without discussing this with, with, with the medical professionals, medical doctors or sleep experts or whatever. And I wouldn't recommend that as well because, I mean, you should never take something that you don't need to like mm -hmm. why don't take medicine or pills or whatever I mean that you don't need to even with supplements I mean supplements can help you only if you lack that thing mm -hmm. like iron will help you if you lack iron if you don't yeah. like iron it will you know it's not gonna do anything anyway uh, and the same thing is with melatonin so first of all you should sort of make sure or know that you lack natural melatonin and then why is that maybe that because you're exposed to a lot of light in the evening light blocks production of melatonin hmm. so if you think you like melatonin of course better solution would be to enjoy darkness in the evening and to limit light uh, to allow your natural normal melatonin to be produced and so on and there's actually even studies uh, that look uh, whether melatonin uh, the helps uh, with sleep for average person average healthy adult and basically what melatonin does is makes you fall asleep like five or six minutes faster and you sleep like eight minutes longer. Hmm. So it's not, it's sort of melatonin, where melatonin really helps is uh, special populations such as people who are truly, truly owls and they want to um, go to bed earlier and wake up earlier. It helps with jet lag. It, it can be very helpful uh, for kids with autism. Again, mm. special populations assessed by a medical professional. Yeah. And it can help people who have shift work and who work at nights. It can help, melatonin can help them fall asleep in the morning. Mm. But all of this is only after you discuss this with a medical sleep doctor, basically, mm. uh, because then they can properly assess. And last comment, which I think is very, very important about melatonin and why I, I wouldn't recommend just to buy melatonin uh, over the counter or order it online or whatever is that there was a huge huge uh, uh, scientific study then in US where scientists just took uh, different kind of brands of melatonin uh, from over the counter and they basically measured uh, how much melatonin was in those uh, tablets pills or whatever drops I actually don't know if I think they only looked at pills but it doesn't matter and then what they found that it was insanely large variability that if a bottle said that there's two milligrams per pill, there could be anywhere between 0 0.1 to like six or seven milligrams of melatonin. Wow. So when you just buy it like this, not prescribed by a doctor who might know a better brand or better source, I don't know. Yeah. You don't even know what you're putting in your system and how, or oh. how much of it, you know? Yeah. So that sounded very scary to me. Well, and that's true with pretty much most generic 
yeah. vitamins that you buy. I mean, yeah. when they're actually third-party tested, I mean, unless you're buying them from an extremely reputable source, um, mm-hmm. most supplements and vitamins are, are just filler and they're actually mm-hmm. not providing that, that true supplement that you think you're buying. And of mm-hmm. course they're super expensive. And so I was wondering about this because probably just like a few weeks ago, I had gone to the, just the regular grocery store in Norway, mm-hmm. the Kiwi or many or whatever, yeah. and bought one of the just on the counter melatonin drops. Uh-huh. And I never tried melatonin before. I was like, okay, now I'm getting to the point. I know my hormonal system's messed up. My emotional system's messed up. Like I've got to really start finding some discipline. And maybe if I'm sleepier, maybe that'll help. I tried this melatonin and and it kind of, I mean, I knew, I know better. I've done herbalism studies. Mm -hmm. I've been, you know, using supplements and vitamins for many, many, many years in my adult life. So I know how to read labels. I know what to look for in general. Uh And anyways, I, I bought this bottle and I just was like, whatever, it looks like crap. I'm going to try it anyways. And (laughs) I got home and I'm looking and there are literally no dosage instructions, none. And I'm like, I had my friend who I was with, I was like, what do, how much of this do I take? Oh my God. And you look at the dropper and there's like a, I think it was 30 milliliters or something. And, and so there's a line that pulls up to the 30 milliliters uh, uh-huh. or maybe it was 20. I don't know. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. And so you, she's like, well, I think you just take a dropper full. I think that's the thing. I was like, do you take it sublingually under your tongue? Do you put it in water? Like, how do you take this? And she, she's like, I don't know. I mean, I guess, I don't know. Maybe just put it on your mouth. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll just take a dropper and put it in my mouth. And like literally no usage instructions. And I'm like, how did this get approved to be on the shelves in Norway, which is so strict with this stuff in a mainstream chain grocery store. And so that was the first concern. I I took it anyways. Um, Mm. And I took it for a few nights kind of off and on. And what I found was it didn't necessarily make me feel sleepier or I don't think I got any better quality of sleep. Mm even though of course we're coming up to the the lightest day of the year here in Norway in just a few weeks, two weeks, maybe. Um, So we get a lot of sunshine right now, Mm. but what I did find, and this was what was really uh, disturbing to me was that in the mornings when I woke up after taking these pills and I woke up at the same time I wake up every morning Mm -hmm. or these drops rather, I was so tired, like bone tired like such a drastic difference from my regular everyday tired. Wow. And so I I did it one night I took them and I woke up and I was like, Uh wow, this really feels like a side effect of the melatonin drops. Uh And then I didn't, the next night I didn't take them and I felt fine. Just Uh my regular, usual sleep deprived (laughs) self. And then I took them. I was like, okay, I'll try them again. I did it the next night. And the same thing happened. So every time I've used these, I've felt terrible Mm. the next day. So Mm. of course now I'm not using them, but I know so many people do. And I just was wondering if there was any, you know, research that you'd seen, or if, if you had an opinion about that, yeah. which you've already kind of answered, but mm. I, I was really surprised by my experience because yeah. I thought if anything, I just wouldn't feel anything. Yeah. Not that I would almost have like this hangover effect where yeah. it was yeah. like lingering in my system and, and it was literally the only thing that I'd done differently. So yeah, yeah. now I'm not going to use them. <laughs> No, no, don't do that. Don't do that. No, but that's very interesting. I mean, again, you don't know the dose. There's also, depending if it's a pill, if it's drops, whatever, you should take them an hour or two or whatever before sleep. So there's also timing is very important as well. Mm. And then, I mean, with no instructions, 
how would you know? And I, yeah, I know it's so crazy to me, but there you have it. Um, okay. Well, maybe we should wrap up with some, I have so many questions about so many things related to sleep that I could just talk for a very, very long time about this. So (laughs) maybe, maybe we'll have to do another episode later on because I think the, the topic of your actual research in terms of the brainwashing and its possible correlation with dementia and Alzheimer's is something mm-hmm. that as of course, you know, but for my general audience listening, you know, is super fascinating and really mm-hmm. interesting and cutting edge. So maybe we'll, maybe we'll do another episode about that. Cause I think I would love that. a lot of people who want to hear, but for today's episode, since it's oh, just yeah. sort of more geared towards sleep deprivation and sleep mm-hmm. in general, um, do you want to maybe recap some of the basics of good sleep hygiene and yeah. maybe some pointers or tips or reminders for all of us on Definitely. some things we can do to improve uh, the quality of our sleep? Yes, I think this is very, very useful. And I know that maybe a lot of a lot of people and a lot of listeners will be like super bored because they have heard all about it. But I don't think it will hurt to repeat it. And you might even hear something new or something different that, you know, might be very easy to change in your life. And then it will bring you big benefits on your sleep uh, quality and stuff like that. And another thing that I would like to mention is that taking care of your sleep hygiene is literally one of the most important things you can do to improve your sleep it might sound sort of boring or whatever but it really makes a large effect uh, on on, on your sleep quality and I will uh, sort of give these tips prioritized and rated what I think could be easier more easy easiest done but bring you sort of the most benefit so I think the first thing would be uh, to keep your uh, bedtime regular and your wake-up time regular. So try to use the best of your ability to go to bed at the same time every night and wake up at the same time in the morning. This is basically to train your body to know when you are sleeping and when you are waking up because then your body will do all the work for you. It will know, your body will know when to release hormones to make you Mm -hmm. sleepy and when to release hormones to wake you up. And I mean, just try that out for, I don't know, two, three weeks. And it's it's insane what a difference it it sort of brings. And I'm saying that because I tried that, I tried all of these things, you know, and not once, but several times after I screwed up my routine. (laughs) Okay, second thing is get light in the morning. The rule of thumb should be to get at least 15 minutes of sunlight within one hour of waking up. Oh, wow. Yeah. So light, as I said, is the most potent trigger, the most potent stimulus to tell your brain and your body that they have started um uh, start all the processes in our cells and in our body that's supposed to happen uh, during the day now. Basically, every morning when light hits our eyes, our 24-hour cycle starts. And mm-hmm. then body knows what to do when. So this is very, very healthy for every organ and every cell because we live, we live with these circadian rhythms. We live with 24-hour rhythms. So light in the morning, the sooner you get sunlight when after you have woken up, the better and the, the more, the better, basically. Of course, I'm not saying to look straight into the sun, but just be exposed, you know, <laughs> yeah. be exposed to sun. So does that and, uh, like, does that mean you have to be outside to get the sunlight or like, can you be inside? 
Yeah. Okay. With just the, the blinds up and get that. Yeah. 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 And window open. So it's not through glass or whatever, because that uh, filters out uh, light and stuff like that. So either go for a walk. Uh, I mean, physical activity in the morning is also super good. So if you can sort of combine a walk, a run, some activity outside, a bike, I don't know. That's great. But sunlight, basically, you can go stand in your balcony for 10 minutes. And that's awesome already. Mm. Uh, at the same time, avoid light in the evening. Uh, so enjoy darkness, no bright screens close to your face, uh, reduce intensity, use night filters, etc. Uh, another thing uh, is to wind down before your sleep. You need, I mean, at least, at least one hour, I would say two to three hours of peace and calmness before you go to bed. Do stuff that relaxes you in the evening. Uh, don't stress, don't work, uh, don't like, I don't know, plan or write angry emails just before bed <laughs> or, or something like that. We need to wind down after the day and get ready for uh, for, for sleep. Um, and that brings me to another point, which is uh, your bed. And if you can, your bedroom is your sleep sanctuary. You mm -hmm. don't do anything else in your bed. Sleep, love. Uh, romance, nothing more. Don't bring computer to your bed. Don't write emails to your bed. Your and this is because your brain makes associations very quickly, mm. very relatively easily. So your brain needs to associate bed with sleep and feeling sleepy and being sleepy. And ideally, your brain should do the same for a bedroom, because then again, you will train your body to do the work for you. Mm. You will come into the bedroom. You will lay down in your bed. And your body, your brain will know what to do. It will make you sleepy and sort of put you to sleep. Um, uh, and then sort of the last point, I guess it's the basics. So try to keep be physically active every day. Um, don't drink alcohol, use nicotine or eat too much too close to sleep. So ideally three, four hours before sleep, you should put consume your last unit of alcohol nicotine and food and stuff like that and then if you just feel sort of hungry I don't know a light snack uh yeah I think that would be sort of uh, the very key thing ah last point uh, I just mentioned with caffeine because maybe this is a bit lesser less uh, lesser known uh, caffeine which is not only in coffee, but in certain kinds of teas and cocoa and chocolate and cola and all of that. There's a lot of hidden caffeine that people might not know. Um, so caffeine stays in our body for a really long time, about eight, nine, in some people even 10 hours. Wow. And, ca yeah. <laughs> and caffeine disrupts your sleep. You might be able to drink an espresso and fall asleep. But your sleep quality will be much worse if you sleep with caffeine in your system. Endless mm. studies show that. I mean, it's it's non-negotiable, basically. Um, so another, and some people are very sensitive to caffeine. So make sure that you drink, let's say, in, in an ideal situation, make sure that you consume your last portion of caffeine, well, at least eight hours before sleep. Uh, so that it's really out of your system before you go to sleep. Wow. And what about, um, is there an ideal temperature for the room that we should be sleeping in? Uh, yes, that's uh, good that you asked that. Uh, so your bedroom should be relatively coolish. So let's say around 18 degrees is this very um, average, average. So air it out, dark, uh, silent, and uh, cool. That's awesome. 
Yeah, that's, you know, I'll share just some of the tips that I have too, mm-hmm. that are just, you know, not from a brain scientist, but from somebody who used to care a lot about sleep hygiene. I mean, yeah. I guess I still do really care about it. I'm just a, have been derailed a bit um, yeah. off my regular habits. You know, of course, putting your phone, most of us have our phone as like our alarm mm. or something, putting mm. that on sleep or I mean on airplane mode every mm. night. So when you go into your bedroom, that's one of the things actually I do do every day is mm. when I go into my bedroom, I put my phone on airplane mode so that I know I'm not going to be distracted and I'm not going to get any incoming texts or phone Mm. calls, especially when I have so many friends and family that are on, you know, a way different time zone from me um, who might not, you know, think that I'm asleep yet. Um, And then the other one that I think is really great is if you do have any devices in your room uh, that might have like the little lights, like the led lights, Mm -hmm. you know, somewhere like those are so distracting. And if, if you're not, um, you know, sleeping with a sleep mask, like I do, mm-hmm. uh, you could see them out of the corner of your eye or they, they send like a big light. And mm-hmm. for example, the one that I have in my bedroom and in my son's bedroom is our, um, you know, in Norway, we have a lot of the wall units that are the space heaters that are built mm-hmm. into the walls and mm-hmm. ours, we have a new house. And so ours are very like electronic gadgety type of thing. Mm-hmm. And so we have these LED lights everywhere because we have all our automatic, like, um, uh, I don't know what you call it. Like, I don't know. There's a lot of weird systems in our house, yeah. <laughs> um, but they all have these LED lights on them. And so it, it sends off these huge shadows when the room is dark. So I've gone through the entire house and I've put on um, like black masking tape over mm-hmm. all the lights to try nice. and block those out. Nice. And so I think there's a lot of small hacks that we can do. Yeah. Um, when we're conscious about it and when we're thinking it through of like, okay, well, what is my ideal sleep pattern? What would my ideal night look like? And of course, again, realizing that in different seasons of life, you know, we're not going to be able to do some things or, um, you know, have the time or the capability to do some of these things. But when we do, we do them. And with any changes we want to make in life, we want to start small. Like, don't start with the biggest, scariest goal of like, okay, yeah. every time, every night I'm going to go to bed at eight o'clock. I'm yes. going to have my last caffeine at eight in the morning. And like, yes. you know, it's like new year's resolutions, which we all know yeah. don't work. Like you cannot yep. have this crazy expectation. Like you have to be realistic and small changes add up to sustainable changes. Yes. And so I think that's really important to highlight, but also just all the things that you gave, like, I didn't know about getting the sunlight in the morning. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's a really nice idea. Mm. Although of course, then my brain goes exactly to, okay, well, what do we do in December in Norway? (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. No, that's totally true. That's really true. Uh, And this light in the morning is actually a truly powerful thing for a lot of health aspects and very much for sleep and uh, december in norway is a bit problematic but uh, for example i have a daylight lamp yeah and i think these are becoming more and more popular and there's quite some science actually to show that these can help with uh, these sort of seasonal mood dysregulations let's call yeah. it in in darker regions and in in, uh, in in winter uh yeah and but then you just sort of the moment you see light you try to get it i mean i i saw this very cool meme on the internet that we're not much more complex than plants right oh yes, yes. <laughs> a little bit of sunlight and water 
and and I think that's really true. <laughs> I I've seen the same meme. I agree. Every, every time I see it, I'm just like, yes, yes. <laughs> we overcomplicate things so much when we don't need to. Hmm. Awesome. Do you have any last words, Laura? Anything you'd like to share about sleep in general, or sleep hmm. deprivation, or anything we've talked about? Yeah, I think that uh, uh, you rounded things up very, very nicely. And th- this was also what I wanted to mention uh, when you said we should start small and take small steps and not this crazy change in your life. Because actually one of the, um, mis- let's say, mistakes or what will most popular mistakes that people start to do when they want to improve their sleep is actually exactly what you said. That let's say they're used to going to bed at 12 or 1. And then one day they're like, I'm going to bed at nine. What do you think will happen? I mean, you will just, you will not fall asleep. You will be just stressed and in anxiety. Why can't you fall asleep? And so you have to start really, really small, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit less light in the evening, a little bit more light in the morning, a bit more time relaxing and winding down before your bed. Uh, coffee, not at two, but maybe at 1 p.m. So I, I think that's a really nice uh, end to to our lovely podcast. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I it's so nice to have you on the podcast again. The last time we connected was a live podcast event, which yeah. was super fun. Yeah. Um feels like a lifetime ago. Yeah. And yeah, and then of course, you know, you have been giving guest lectures at the Atman Yoga School in our restore and um, yoga nidra teacher mm-hmm. trainings talking about brain activity and yoga nidra meditation. And we are hopefully going to be coming up with some new events, yeah. programs, something or other, which I think will be really exciting. Uh, ever since we ran into each other at the yoga studio again, yeah. I have been thinking um, I'm really on the brainwave, well, no pun intended, actually, <laughs> on the brainwave, kind of like, uh, meditation in the mind and some sort of some sort of thing we can do around that so we'll we'll brainstorm no pun intended we'll brainstorm (laughs) you're on fire I'm on fire I know gosh without even trying um but other than that yeah thank you so much for joining me for sharing your knowledge your expertise your time and it's always you know so much fun to connect with you because you're so enthusiastic and so articulate about a pretty complicated subject (laughs) and I think that's why it's so nice and and people love to hear you talk about this so thank you and we'll be in touch and enjoy the rest of your beautiful sunny summer afternoon yes thank you too thanks all right bye Laura bye